Welcome to this episode of Answers to Questions about Rx Racial Healing with Dr. Gail C. Christopher, author and award-winning social change agent. Each seven-minute segment offers insights intended to support co-facilitators working in communities and organizations to bring diverse people together in circles of compassion for the urgent work of eliminating racism and its consequences. If you have questions, please send them to us at rxracialhealing.com. Why is story so important in the Rx Racial Healing Circle experience? Story makes us listen deeply. Do you know you can hear the, the news or you can hear somebody giving you some data and some facts, but as soon as they shift it into a story, we find ourselves perking up and maybe leaning in, you know, and story actually stimulates a different part of our brain in terms of uh, engagement. And so the process of story, the experience of stories, of sharing stories, it turns the, the Rx racial healing into an experience. You know, you hear a lot about conversations about race or courageous conversations or uncomfortable conversations. But when you put the story element in deliberately, by design, in response to specific prompts, I think it takes it from a conversation to an experience. And and that's why, you know, when, when we're helping people to learn how to co-facilitate, we, we really emphasize and we model sharing our own stories. Uh, recently, I had a, a young facilitator, you know, in training to do this, and she told a story, but it was abstract and it was top of the head and it really wasn't her story. And so the, the prompts always say, share a story about a time in your life when. So they invite you to actually, you know, pull something out and out from your lived experience so that you're really bringing and inviting people into your lived experience and it is, I believe, the absence of this understanding of our of one another's lived experiences, you know, that enables us to hold on to our biases and our, quite frankly, our ignorance and our preconceived notions. And it's not just that that's my opinion. The, the existing research on how we reduce bias, it talks about through interaction, through engagement. And so we have deliberately designed this process to facilitate engagement. And we think that story is, is really at the heart of this. Well, in that vein, can you share a story or two from your own life that helped to shape your life's work? I can. Let me see. Well, the one that, that I actually share in the book that was quite powerful for me because I was so young. And uh, picture, I was probably, I think I might have been about 14 or 15. And I went away to a summer experience, an encampment, an arts encampment, up in Chautauqua, New York. And Chautauqua, New York is near Buffalo. And it is uh, one of the nation's, if not the nation's, oldest sort of summer arts experience, actually, where people come and 
and they learn theater and music and dance and you know there are concerts concerts there's this great big amphitheater and I won a scholarship to go there for I believe it was about six or eight weeks during the summer and I was studying theater and I was studying voice and movement because at that point in my life I wanted to become an actress but it was the first time I'd ever been away from home like that and in an all-white community. I was one of two African-Americans in the program and perhaps one of three African-Americans in this community at the time. And the, the highlight of that summer was when the famous singer Paul Rob- Robeson came to give a concert there and the voice teacher said to me, um, he has told us that if there are any kids of color, any interns of color, he wants them there with him. He wants them there on the stage with him. And so I got to perform with Paul Robeson, which is pretty, you know, he was a giant of a, of a person. And I'll never forget how he, he, we did our number me and the other black female on the campus, we did our song before his number, before he entered the stage. And I'll never forget how he held the the stage door for us as we were coming off the stage. And uh, it was just so kind and he was so gracious and he told us how well we had done. And, you know, it just, it really, really stayed with me, the kindness of this giant of a man who transfixed thousands of people, you know, when he came onto the stage and sang. But but it was a beautiful summer, and uh, I had a roommate who was white, and she and I got to know each other. We talked about our families, you know. I lived on the segregated east side of Cleveland. She lived on the west side, which is the white side of Cleveland, and we probably would never have, have met had it not been for that experience. Her father was a Chicago police officer. Uh, my father was in the trucking business. He was a truck driver. I think she was an only child, you know, and I had siblings. But we just, you know, we had these bunk beds and we just talked and got to know each other. She was there for sculpture, a different kind of art. So the summer came to an end and I was walking down the street and I saw an ambulance in front of our house. So I I ran to the house to see what was going on, and I arrived just in time to see them carrying my roommate out on a stretcher. And she wasn't conscious, and so I ran up on the porch and I asked the house parents what was going on, what had happened, and they told me that my roommate had attempted suicide and that she had taken pills and they were taking her to the hospital. And so I ran upstairs to our room. I didn't know what to do or say. And I found this note that she had written to me. And the note said to me, quite simply, that she didn't want to go home because her father had taught her to hate black people. And she did not want to live that lie any longer. Now, I'll never know what became. I don't know if she lived or died quite truthfully, but that experience colored my summer and uh, it was um, quite powerful for me to have lived through an experience, an initial experience that transcended the veil of, of racial 
difference, a friendship, which felt like a genuine friendship. And then to be reminded in that critical way of the power of racism. Thank you for sharing that story. April 29th marked the 30th anniversary of the uprising in LA sparked by the acquittal of four police officers caught on videotape brutally beating Rodney King. Are there any lessons for us as we reflect on this moment? You know, again, it's the story. It's the power of story, Hassan. I remember that moment. You may remember it too. The story of that uprising was framed as a black against Korean and Korean against black kind of moment. The nuances of that story never really surfaced broadly, but few people know that a young teenage girl had been killed shortly before that uh, Rodney King incident surfaced, video surfaced, that she had been accused by a, an owner of a Korean grocery store of stealing orange juice. And he had, as she was exiting the store, he had shot her in the back of the head and killed her, the, the store owner. And, and the video that surfaced of that showed her leaving the store with money in her hand. So she obviously had come in to buy the orange juice, you know. So the, the, the killer was charged with um, voluntary manslaughter, but the judge didn't have him serve any time for that. Uh, he, was, he was charged and he was convicted. But when it came to sentencing, he was con- sentenced to probation and community service and a $500 fine. And so this was a grave injustice to that black community. And there was that tension and many other incidences of police brutality. So there was a lot going on there. And the Rodney King uh, beating and the videotape of that, you know, it just pushed things over the edge, not unlike all these other things we've seen in this last year, you know. And then if you if you go back even further to the riots of the 60s, the fundamental finding of, of the Kerner Commission was police brutality. You know, so so this story, this context of a permission to devalue the humanity of African Americans and in some cases other people of color, you know, It is such a persistent um, dynamic in our society, and it just drives home the importance of, first, eradicating that permission to devalue our lives, but also, and perhaps even more importantly, to build a different type of, of connective tissue, a different way of relating with one another, of piercing those veils of of racism by building bonds of connection where we truly do learn how to see ourselves in the face of the other. Uh, Because not only was there the tension between the races, but in many cases, even then, on April 29, 30 years ago, there were bonds of friendship across racial lines, there were African-Americans and Korean-Americans and immigrants helping each other to survive the the hostilities and the racism. There's always more to the story than the sound bites that that reach the media. And so I think the biggest takeaway for us is to realize how absolutely important it is 
that we have other mechanisms of sharing stories and connecting with other human beings so that our perceptions, our understanding of who we are is not limited to what we get, you know, either in social media or through mainstream media. Again, this has been Answers to Questions about Rx Racial Healing with Dr. Gail C. Christopher, author and award-winning social change agent. If you have questions, please send them to us at rxracialhealing.com.